Okay, today is December the 14th. I'll remind you that our play is going to be, the church play is going to be the 27th. Well, Monday, the day after Christmas. So mark that on your calendar so you all might be able to attend. Okay, let's begin by having a few moments of silent prayer, the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for giving us another day to see your faithfulness, to make sure that we keep our priorities straight, that we don't get distracted, we're able to handle the details of life without getting in a dither, and we thank you for your word that helps keep us on track, and we pray that you will help us to focus this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to continue in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 4. I'll put it on the board right away, so if you don't have your Bibles. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. We went over this last Sunday, I mean last, uh, what, Thursday, and some of it I wanted to touch upon again lightly. One of the things that I emphasized last time was the importance of encouragement, the importance of speaking proudly about someone other than yourself. This thing to do is just let other people speak proudly about you, leave that to them. But we all need to make sure that we have, we have plenty of praise to go around because praise is very important. It is a great motivator. Criticism may help, but I don't think you could classify it as a great motivator. And praise is. And we all need the most motivation we can get. Is that not true? Day after day, time grinds on, and it can make us weary. It can make us discouraged. It can make us disheartened. And just a little word of praise here or there, a little word of encouragement can mean so much. So we want to be diligent in doing that. <clears throat> Paul gives us an example by 
speaking proudly of you. This was, of course, talking about the Thessalonian believers. He went to other churches and he would brag on the Thessalonian believers how they were persevering in faith even in the midst of great persecution and affliction. We looked at the bad verses. They're not bad verses, but they're verses that are bad regarding... Well, let me, let me rephrase that. These are good verses that do a good job of explaining the bad type of pride. Pride is one of those words that has... It's actually a double-edged sword. You can use pride. It's, we should take pride in our appearance. Pride in the things that we do, nothing wrong with that. These are bona fide. We should take pride and not do anything haphazardly. But sometimes that word pride, often it is used in a negative way. Pride goeth before the fall, before a fall. It's talking about arrogance, but not always. And so in our verse, it's one of those times when we have pride used in a good sense. I think it's used in a bad sense more. Anyway, we have a list of verses here <coughs> that talk about pride in the way that you normally would think. A very familiar verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. What's the last part? Lest any man should boast. That's being prideful. That's arrogance. Boasting before God. If we're going to have any boast before God, it should be about God. <clears throat> and then here's a few verses that we went over that uses pride in a good way. Boasting and pride kind of go hand in hand. Unfortunately, in most churches and families, there's more criticism and denunciation than there is encouragement and praise. I'm of the mind that if you are in a family especially, and this is very apropos for this time of year because many of us are around family members. It might be the only time during the year that you're around certain family members. And usually there's a lot of sniping and criticism, a lot of, <coughs> a lot of uh, testing and judgmental, attitudes and I think maybe what could turn it around more than anything else is to just encourage someone even if it's hard to do look for things to compliment and see if it doesn't change things it's hard to be a uh, boor it's hard to be critical and judgmental of somebody that is encouraging you or praising you, isn't it? And even if they want to be small and they want to chide you about something that is really unimportant, if you, if you turn, return, instead of another snipe, you return it with something that is pleasant, something that is uplifting, encouragement, praise, I think it might... It might Turn things around. In fact, you might not even wait for them to snipe at you. Why not right out of the box? 
My, my, you're looking good today. <clears throat> have you been on a diet? Do you have a new hairdo? Did you change perfume? Something that is, is pleasant. Something that's not. Of course, you don't want to be, you don't want to use flattery. I mean, that's false. That's what flattery is. It's something that's false. That's why I say sometimes it's hard. You've got to look for things. Those clothes aren't near as dirty as they usually are, are they? <laughs> sometimes it's difficult. It, the easiest thing in the world is to criticize. But I think it's very important. And they were being praised by Paul because of their hupomone. That is translated into English into your perseverance. Perseverance really means patience, to stand under something and not flee, to stay the course. That's what hupomone means. I'm one to speak about patience. But it's here, and on occasion, I am patient. Well, uh, let me rephrase that. The Holy Spirit works through me to help me be patient. I don't think there's a shred of patience in me, but I am patient sometimes because of the Holy Spirit. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can go to the DMV and make conversation, maybe win a few friends, give the gospel. There's a number of things you can do while in line. And when you get up to that bureaucrat that's behind that glass, and they say, Mist! Oh, my, my, don't you look nice today. <laughs> well, if it's ugly as a mud fence, that might be hard, but you can think of something. The whole idea of the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. How many times have you heard that? Of course, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. So, if you're like me, your only chance is being filled with the Holy Spirit, and over time, He will produce fruit. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. That's the prize. That's the goal, is to hear those great words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because when you hear those words, there's a lot more coming, a lot of good things. But we have to endure. Perseverance and faith, these two go together. Faith reinforces perseverance. You see, it's the, the faith, it's the trust that God is going to fulfill His promises, that His Word is true, that is the motivator for us to be patient. If you really believe that if you stay the course and you don't, get, you don't cave in to your cravings, your lusts, you, you continue to keep your priorities straight and you don't get distracted. You keep on taking the Word in, regardless of how you feel. It is that faith 
that trust that the Lord is going to not only recognize that, but he's going to pay it back a millionfold. I think the older we get, the more we see how brief life is. And I think it's easier for older people to understand this concept than the younger people. For a teenager, for someone in their 20s, and you're talking about out there somewhere there's going to be a reward. They haven't lived long enough to see how brief life is. But for us who are senior citizens, we've already gone through it. There's not much left of our life time-wise. And so we can recognize, wow, it's, it just flew by. It makes it easier, easier for us to see, hey, I'm close to that prize, to that hope. Surely I can endure for a bit longer. The Bible says it is certainly worth it. Even as the stars shine brightest in the dark night, so believers shine brightest in the darkness of adversity. If you want something to really stand out, what do you, what do you put behind it? Something dark. Like if you put black velvet behind something and you want it to sparkle, why do you think jewelers, when they show you a diamond or something, they don't have it on something white? Something really dark, so it, the contrast, you really sparkle. You get the gist here. Not only stars are the brightest in the dark night, believers have the opportunity to shine the brightest when it's the darkest moment. <coughs> that's because we're trusting in the Lord more. That's, by the way, that's one reason we suffer. That's one reason we have adversity. If everything was just hunky-dory down here, we would forget about the Lord and wouldn't even worry about His promises because everything is so grand. But it's not that way, is it? It helps us focus on what is really important. Perseverance, perseverance is the fruit of faith that enables the Christian to keep on going to the end of the race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. I don't have that one. I, let's go there. Hebrews is a great book. The book of Hebrews. I always think of Hebrews chapter 12 of being the divine discipline chapter. It's certainly there. But let's start with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this is because this chapter 12 follows chapter 11, which is the hero list. That's the list of heroes. Hebrews chapter 11. And so that's what it's referring to, surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. That would be sin from your lust pattern, whether it is lasciviousness or whether it is, it is legalism. 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See that one word in there, endurance, lets us know. It's not a sprint. You have to continue and endure. Oh, the long haul. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that is doctrine, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We're talking about spiritual morale. Spiritual morale is critical. We're talking about motivation. Once your spiritual morale goes down, it's much easier for you to be distracted, to not stay the course, to be confused, and to start, for look, start looking for something better, start working under your own power. So we have, we're in a race, and a race of endurance, and we are to stay the course, and this gives us Christ as the example. One of the keys of enduring suffering is found in Romans 8.18. You can either look at it in your Bible or follow me on the board. This is a great verse, by the way. This is exactly what it, it encapsulate what, encapsulates what I've been saying about it being worth it. Whatever suffering, whatever uh, you think that you're missing out on here in time is nothing compared to what awaits those who have hupomone, those who endure. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You talk about a motivator? You talk about a morale booster? If that doesn't do it, then you better check your spiritual barometer. Something's off. So whenever you think that you've had it, you're ready to throw in the towel, you're full of self-pity, you want to change, just remember, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The first thing most people do when they are facing something that is inconvenient or unpleasant is to do just about anything to avoid it or get out of it. Is that not true? It's normal. I mean, that's what we do. We are trouble dodgers. We don't like trouble. We don't like adversity. We do not like pain. And so that we, we try to steer a course to avoid all of those kind of traps or pitfalls. But how successful have you been? How many of you can say, I haven't had trouble in a long time? I'm not going to ask for any hands because I don't have to. We live in the devil's world. These believers, referring to the Thessalonian believers, did not try to endure under their own strength, but relied on the sufficient grace of God to endure. And it is always sufficient. God promises His grace is sufficient. That's one of the promises when it gets dark. When you feel like you're in the pit and you don't know if you can go on, 
God says, my grace is sufficient. Just hang on. They accepted their circumstances as conditions which he was allowing, that is God, for his glory and their blessing. Just remember that. We're talking about undeserved suffering here, by the way. Punitive suffering is not in the purview of this verse. That has its, its purpose to get you back on track. But to endure and stay the course is a different type of suffering, undeserved suffering. It's for what? God's glory and our blessing. Remember that. When you are enduring suffering, it is for His glory and your blessing every time. Suffering produces meek, patient, and trusting saints. That's what suffering produces. Meek, patient, and trusting saints. God in His perfect wisdom has so ordered every believer to suffer. Had he not done that, we would be the most pompous, arrogant, ne'er the wells that you'd ever seen. We need suffering. I didn't say we want it, though, do we? If we were gone, we would design a plan without suffering, right? Yeah, right. Unbelievers see suffering differently from Christians. It is usual for them to think that there is no God because they think that suffering is evil or that, <coughs> or that God would stop it if he really did exist. Have you ever heard that before? This is what some of the people come in conclusions. And they think they have you. They think they've trapped you. They say, you believe in God? Yes, I do. And you're a Jesus freak, huh? Well, no, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Okay, then answer me this. Why all the, all the trouble and adversity and the horrors that go on on this earth? If God was really God, he, he would be powerful enough to do something about it. And if he does have the power to do something about it and he doesn't do it, then he really doesn't care. Now, which is it? Is he not powerful enough or does he not care? They will couch the challenge in those two areas. How would you respond to something like that? Well, you can nearly answer it in one word. The reason that there is calamity and problems on planet Earth is because of volition. God gave us volition. And ever since Satan or Lucifer fell, we've had trouble ever since. Now, God could have created nothing but robots and programmed them to be perfect and programmed them to obey him and love him. But that would be a pretty boring planet, wouldn't it? What would be the purpose in that? So the answer to that is simply volition. When God gave man volition, Pandora's box was opened. Anything is possible. It doesn't matter to God because he is omnipotent and omniscient and he can handle it. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. By the way, thinking this way comes from 
defining God in the light of one's own experience rather than letting faith learn from God's self-revelation in the Bible. And that part came from uh, opening, up, opening up 2 Corinthians, page 28 and 29. What did I say? Excuse me, 2 Thessalonians, thank you. Often in times of suffering, the answers we seek are unavailable, and then it's time to lean not on our own understanding, but continue to trust the Lord. Here's a great verse, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Many times we get in an area that's great. We don't know what to do. What should you do when you're not sure what to do? You don't know what the biblical answer is in any particular situation. Well, most people would say, well, just don't do anything. Sometimes we have to do something, don't we? In that case, we pray, we go to the Lord. I'm confused. I don't know what to do here. I need guidance. I need help. I have to act. I have to take the fork to the left or to the right. I'm not sure which one to take. But I'm depending on you to make all things work for good. And you press on, depending on him. Now, what if you take the wrong fork? What if you should have taken the left fork and you took the right fork? And you've gone down that road pretty far. Is God unable to make this verse Come to fruition because you made a wrong choice? Of course not. God can unscramble eggs. Verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Here we have suffering again. Talking about enduring and suffering. Remember, this is the this started in verse number three. This is verse number five of a sentence that has two hundred and thirteen words in it in the Greek. And we're taking a bite out of time. Most believers don't associate their suffering with the kingdom of God. According to God's righteous judgment, believers receive suffering to determine if they are worthy of the kingdom of God. Only during our brief time on earth we experience suffering. There will be no suffering for the believer in eternity according to Revelation 21, verse 4. Are you glad of that? Huh? Some of you look like you need to be glad of that. Oh, I, mean, I, mean, I, know, I think you are, but it just doesn't register. That's something great. No suffering in eternity. How far away is eternity? <laughs> That's right. Pete said it right. One breath away. We're not guaranteed more than the next breath. We're not even guaranteed that. And to know that when we pass this veil of tears, that there's going to be no more suffering, no more aches, no more pain. That's going to be wonderful, isn't it? I know that that resonates with this crowd. This is a snap, crackle, and pop crowd. <laughs> getting, out, getting up in the morning can be an experience. 
Now, I'm, I'm including myself in that too, by the way. <clears throat> My knees used to not pop when I get up in the morning. And now, but I have learned, I can get up in a certain way. No pop. No more suffering. There's always a reason for suffering. That's important to note. There's always a reason for suffering. And this verse indicates one reason is for God to be able to determine if we are worthy of His kingdom. Whoa, now wait a minute. Am I talking about works here? You know better than that. But there is a form of worthiness that I'm going to try to describe. This is not an easy verse. Since the character that emerges through the fire of testing is God-given, and it is, and I'm talking about actually what is given is the test and the character. If you stick with doctrine and you grow spiritually and you actually have more options available to you when you make the right decisions and you go through the fire of testing, which is God-given, God receives all the glory. The grace of God that makes it possible for a Christian to withstand the fires of human experience which destroy non-Christians is a Christian's only claim to being worthy of God's kingdom. In other words, you do need to be worthy to inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what this is talking about. Every believer is going to be in the kingdom of God in the millennium. But we're talking about inheritors here, not inhabitors. And if you're going to be an inhabitor, you have to be worthy. Part of that worthiness is shown in testing, in adversity. The character comes out. But we can't even applaud ourselves for the character because it's God that formed the character to begin with. He gives us the time. He gives us the physical ability. You've got to be here. You've got to, be, you've got to have oxygen pumped to your brain. Your brain's got to be working. All these things we don't take credit for. God's take, taking care of that. He's given us all the grace assets. He gives you a, a church, a pastor, teacher, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches you the spiritual things. All these things over a period of time is going to form that character in you that makes you worthy. But it's not you that's forming the character. It's God. And we're going to get rewarded for something that God did through us. I'm going to read that one more time. I just don't want to go right through here because this is a little bit tricky. Since the character that emerges through the fire of testing is God-given. Do you all understand that? To go through a test and to show confidence and courage. To not waver to the left or to the right. To go right through it and be stronger on the other side means that you have built some character. Let me rephrase that. God has built some character. In you. And it's that character that makes you worthy for the kingdom of God. There's going to be people in the kingdom of God that are not worthy. In fact, none of us are worthy, but they're not worthy in a, in a 
worse sense because they didn't take advantage of the grace that God has given in order to make them worthy. Does that make sense? You understand that? It's all about God. It's just, are you going to get on the train of great rewards and blessings or are you just going to stand on the side and watch it go by? The grace of God that makes it possible for a Christian to withstand the fires of human experience which destroy non-Christian is the Christian's only claim to being worthy of God's kingdom. Are you worthy of God's kingdom? Do you have that character? Have you gone through the fire of human experience, trusting the Lord, seeing His faithfulness, and having more confidence on the other side and a great sense of security? Is that what's going on with you? If that's the case, then you are one of the worthy ones. We are not found worthy just because we suffer. Many people suffer but are never considered worthy of God's kingdom. It's not just the suffering. Only those who persevere in faith under, the, under persecution and adversity are considered worthy. That's what the Thessalonians, what happened to them. Remember, they were getting it from both Jews and Gentiles. They were getting it from every side. Great adversity. And what does Paul do? He hears about what they're doing, and he goes around, he's bragging to all the churches about the character that they have because they stayed the course. Under great pressure, they stood in the gap and continued to trust the Lord, and God was able to do great things through them. Only those who continue to think and apply doctrine under pressure, those are the ones who persevere in faith and, and adversity. They still pers persevere in, in faith during adversity. Suffering is not something strange or something that is abnormal. On the contrary, it is very normal to suffer. In fact, everyone suffers. Everyone. What about the little kids that are out there playing? They're running around, they're playing, and they're... <laughs> I started to say they're innocent. Uh, they're about as innocent as Jack the Ripper, but... Uh, <clears throat> They're innocent in the sense that there's a lot of things they don't know about yet. Just give them time. <laughs> uh, do they suffer? Of course they suffer. I'm not talking about falling down and skinning your knee. I'm talking about they have their own issues that they have to deal with. They're selfish just like we are and they don't get their way. And they suffer. They, that's self-induced suffering, by the way. And sometimes children need punitive suffering so that they will have, it, they, they call it enforced humility. If they don't have enforced humility, then they are going to be monsters by the time they leave the nest. So everyone suffers. However, it is the suffering for Christ Undeserved suffering that is endured through the power of doctrine and the Holy Spirit where that makes us considered worthy for the kingdom of God. Did you get all that? Now, that's a short sentence. That's way shorter than 213 words Paul put together. But there's a lot in it. Let's look at it again. 
It is suffering for Christ. When I say suffering for Christ, I have it uh, uh, in between commas here. That's talking about undeserved suffering. When you're suffering undeserved and you are not getting into mental attitude sins or any other kind of sin, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're suffering for Christ. So when you suffer undeserved suffering and it is endured through the power of the Word of God that you know and the Holy Spirit, where that make, that's what makes us considered worthy for the kingdom of God. We're not working our way there. It's not the suffering in itself. It's not even being consistent, taking in doctrine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. As far as we, as far as our part is concerned, that's what God is doing through us. This is, I don't know if y'all can see this or not. This is, what makes this a hard verse is because it is assigned worthiness to us, it appears. But it's really not. It's, a, it's assigning worthiness to God and His grace and His love to warns us so that He can say we're worthy of the kingdom of God. Why? Because He fit us for it. He has fashioned us for what's coming next. And it is right for us to be there. Only because what He did for us and through us. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, Beloved, think it not strange. Remember I said... Suffering is not something strange, something off the charts. We, we act like it does. When the refrigerator goes out, just at the wrong time, you're about to have a party, you freak out and you think, why does it have to happen now? This doesn't happen to anybody else. Yes, it does. And worse. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. This next part is hard. But rejoice. Rejoice. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Christ, did Christ suffer undeservedly? That's the only way he did suffer. And when you take on undeserved suffering, you should rejoice because you are being partakers of Christ's suffering. Now, why? Look at this. That when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Because what's going to happen when Christ's joy is revealed? When his, excuse me, His glory. When His glory is revealed, what's going to happen? We're going to be glorified also. We're going, to get we're going to have glorified bodies, resurrection bodies. And when Christ is revealed, we will be revealed also. So when we have these sufferings, now I know this is a hard sell. I'm not, I say that just as a probably a trite expression. But I know when you're suffering, and the Bible says rejoice, some people say, are you nuts? What's wrong with you? What have you been smoking? That's because they don't have any spiritual life or they don't have any doctrine. It's only through the eye of the Word of God that you can make that connection. It's only through spiritual self-esteem. 
can you make that connection. It's only if you have that hope that you're looking forward to God fulfilling His promises that if you stay the course, you have hope of money, you're patient, you're going to stand under that trial until God's grace delivers you and you're looking forward to that reward, then you can rejoice. You know how many times you have to hear this before it sticks? I'm going home to a broken Maytag washing machine. And I'm still trying to rejoice about it. But I'm getting closer. How about you? What are you going home to? Hmm? See, I just don't call a repairman. That's not my way. My way is pull that rascal out. I'll figure it out. I'll get a part. You have no idea how far buried in our laundry room that Maytag washer is. <laughs> two days I have been moving things just to get to it. And I must say, I have not been rejoicing the whole time. I know you laugh. But I don't say that just to be funny. I am dead serious. I want to rejoice about this. And here I am teaching this. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. The only way you can do it is to project your thinking past this short life to when Jesus Christ returns and He is coming back with rewards. You think Santa Claus has rewards? Huh? Oh, fat guy coming down to... With a big, he's got one sack of goodies. If I can focus on those rewards, if I can have that hoopomone and just say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to, when I open that Maytag and it looks like a, a maze, and I start getting my fingers all dirty and greasy and I bump my head and there's blood coming out. It doesn't matter. I can always call it a <laughs> But that hurts too. That hurts in the pocketbook, doesn't it? Somewhere you're going to have pain. And you may think, oh, well, he's just being silly. No, I am not. Even in these, if you can't have victory over a Maytag washer and be rejoicing about it. How are you going to have it over something else? Huh? Don't we believe we, we, when we buy an appliance it should last the rest of our lives, shouldn't it? I mean, it, that's why we buy it for. It, it, we pay enough for it at all to. When was the last time you had to replace something or call the repairman out a month after or a week after the, after the uh, warranty goes out? Did you rejoice about that? Hmm? I'm getting too close to home, aren't I? But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. I'm just trying to debate in my own mind, was that washing machine undeserved suffering? I don't know if there's any maintenance I'm supposed to do with it. 
I don't even I don't even know how to work it. I do know how to shove clothes in it, but I don't have a clue how much I don't even know where the soap is or what kind of soap. And the dials on it, they might as well be on a spaceship or something. I don't know what they're for. But me and my infinite wisdom are going to try to fix it. <laughs> and I may or may not keep you posted on the progress of this whole thing. It depends on if I'm able to rejoice about it or not. Those who endure suffering on behalf of the kingdom here on earth show that they are among those who will reign with Christ in His kingdom. You want to be... Do you want to reign? If someone came to you right now and said, Hey, I'll make you queen. I'll make you queen of a whole country. How about that? Would you want it? They used to have queen for a day. Anybody remember that? I look back on that and I think, Boy, they were hard up. It was black and white. How many of you remember queen for a day? Ooh, a lot. <laughs> It was actually a program they have. I think it was three women on there, and they these would tell what happened in their life. It's a dreadful, whatever it was, and who, which one was the most pitiful? They would make her queen for a day, and they would put a robe around her and crown her, and she would strut about. And I don't know. They gave her some washing machine soap, or I don't know. It wasn't much, but she was queen for a day. We're talking about reigning with the. King of kings and Lord of lords for all eternity. Are you interested in that? Is it not worth a little bit of suffering? Look at Paul. He gives his list of, of suffering. And I couldn't handle one day of it. You know, beat 40 times over and over. Out at sea. at You know, for days. Just bobbing like a cork out there. I told you Sunday about my experience bobbing around as a cork. Didn't take me ten minutes and I was freaking out. But he's the one that says it's worth it. Here's the here's the scripture, Romans eight seventeen. Fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That is a big if. Only you can determine it. You want to be fellow heirs? You want to reign with Christ? And you ladies are included. Not just men. Most of us don't even have a maid. I assume that if you're a royalty, you'd have some servants. I mean, you'd have somebody to uh, mow the grass for you or do something. Do they have grass in heaven? See, that's the kind of questions that I get from the young people. That's why I say, I, I don't know what's coming next. If I, I'll make a little statement like that. I'll say, uh, well, I don't know. We need somebody to mow the grass in heaven. They think, well, are you sure that there's grass in heaven? Well, uh, uh, no, I'm not sure. Well, what kind of grass? What, uh, how often do, how, you know, just 50 questions on grass in heaven just from. <laughs> I, probably, I don't think we're going to have weeds. Well, are we going to have to fertilize it? Do we have to water the grass? And we're going to, it just goes on and on. Okay, I'm going, to throw it, I'm going to end here. But I think that's a great verse, don't you? You want to be fellow heirs with Christ? Look at that if. If indeed 
we suffer with him, that would be undeserved suffering without complaining, being able to rejoice about it, knowing that this is refining us so that we will be worthy to, of the kingdom of God and be reigning with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's it for tonight. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful of your wonderful grace. Even to the extent that you will reward us for what you do for and through us. For we can't do it in our own power, in our own understanding. We have nothing to offer in order to be worthy of the kingdom of God apart from simple trust, faith in your word. And you even make it not only available to us, but understandable to us. Everything is done by you and is glorifying you, and we are blessed in the process. As we continue to undergo these sufferings, we pray that you will help us to keep our focus on the end game, the end where it will be worth it all. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.